Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Grammar Girl here. Hi, I'm Mignon Fogarty, and today I have a quick and dirty tip about banding together. A meaty middle about how understanding the movie Toy Story can help you write a great essay. And a tidbit about the idiom left holding the bag. And now, on to the quick and dirty tip. Allie M. from New Jersey asked whether the correct phrase is ban together or band together. The correct phrase is band together. When band is a noun, one common meaning is a group of people who've joined together for some purpose. Think of a rock band, or the movie Band of Brothers, or the Silicon Valley investing group known as the Band of Angels. Therefore, it's not much of a stretch to remember that when people join together, for example, to form a band, the noun, they are banding together, using band the participle. Allie's question also reminded me of other common errors that happen when a word ending with a D is followed by a word starting with a T. The correct phrases are used to and iced tea, but people sometimes think they should be used to and iced tea because it's difficult to hear the separation between the D and the T. And that was your quick and dirty tip. The correct phrase is band together, like a rock band. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? 
Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by The Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bands across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as the Washington Post and The Guardian said, Missing Pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Next, I have a meaty middle from Ethan Sawyer, better known as the college essay guy, about how understanding the movie Toy Story and narrative structure can help you write a great essay. Here's a secret. Most Disney and Pixar films have the same structure, and it goes a little something like this. First, there's the status quo. As the story begins, life is like this. Then, there's the inciting incident. Something happens that disrupts the status quo. And here's a fun fact. It's usually 12 to 15 minutes into the film. Often, this is when we learn the main character's want, also known as an external desire, which is what the character thinks will make him or her happy. In Finding Nemo, for example, Marlin wants to protect his child forever. In The Incredibles, Bob Parr wants to be an amazing superhero. Then there's Raising the Stakes. Over the next hour or so, things get more serious and dangerous. Often this is when we learn that the character has a deeper need, also known as the internal desire. In Finding Nemo, Marlin discovers he needs to not protect Nemo, but to let him go. In The Incredibles, Bob Parr needs to learn to be not only an amazing superhero, but an amazing dad. Then there's the moment of truth. Often, this is when the hero must make a huge choice, after which there's no turning back. Sometimes this involves our hero choosing between his want and need, as in Finding Nemo. And sometimes this choice helps our hero achieve both his want and need, as in The Incredibles. Finally, we have the new status quo. As the story ends, we see that life is different from when we began. This structure will sound familiar to you if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell's monomyth, or hero's journey. One name for this is narrative structure, and here's a quick example of how it works in the film Toy Story. In the status quo, Woody and Andy are best friends, and Woody is Andy's favorite toy. Then comes the inciting incident. Buzz Lightyear arrives, and Woody is no longer Andy's favorite toy. Woody gets jealous, and his want is to get Buzz out. Then there's raising the stakes. As the story continues, Woody pursues his want to get Buzz out. Although, as an audience, we begin to see that Woody has a deeper psychological need to overcome his jealousy and to not get Buzz out, but to let Buzz in. Then there's the moment of truth, or climax. The crazy neighbor kid ties Buzz to a rocket and threatens to blow Buzz to infinity and beyond. Here, Woody must choose between his want to get Buzz out and his need to let Buzz in to accept him. 
Finally, we have the new status quo. Woody chooses to save Buzz, fulfilling his need over his want. And in the end, Woody and Buzz and Andy all play together nicely. In a nutshell, that's narrative structure. And this structure has become familiar to you through the many films and stories you've seen and heard your whole life. But here's something you probably didn't know. Narrative structure can help you get into college, or at least write a great essay. How? Well, you must be clever. Like the heroes and heroines of many animated films, you must be brave. And most importantly, you must find a college that values uncommon thinking. Kind of like the University of Chicago. In fact, the University of Chicago values uncommon thinking so much that for years it spurned the advances of the common application, calling its own application the uncommon application. And then in 2012, the University of Chicago relented and joined the other hundreds of schools on the common application. Here are some weird past prompts that the University of Chicago has used. So where is Waldo, really? Find X. Why are odd numbers odd? And how do you feel about Wednesday? So what does the narrative structure have to do with getting into college? Well, over the past several years, some of my smartest students have used narrative structure to write amazing essays that help them get into the University of Chicago in particular. It's important to note that it wasn't only these essays that got them in. They had wonderful GPAs, test scores, and extracurricular resumes. But their essays helped. And here's the thing. They didn't just use narrative structure. Oh no, they did something extra. Because, let's face it, every story has pretty much already been written, right? I mean, some argue, in fact, that there are only ten basic story plots. So what did these students do that was so special? They made it new. And what does it mean to make it new? To make something new is to make the usual seem unusual. Or conversely, to make the unusual seem usual. Like wearing a duct tape dress to prom, for example. Making garlic ice cream. Or telling the story of a family surviving a tornado from the perspective of the tornado. Some films that made it new include Moulin Rouge, which was actually Puccini's opera La Boheme, or The Lion King, which was basically Hamlet, and the 1993 film Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, about the talking dogs and cat, that was actually, well, the 1963 film Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. So how can you make it new? First, find a story you know really well. Or choose a story that lives in the public consciousness. Cinderella, for example, or Santa Claus. Then, take that story and do something new with it. Like what? Change the location. Put Cinderella in your own school, for example. Or change the perspective. Be Cinderella. Or better yet, be the misunderstood stepsister and tell her story. Gregory Maguire is an author who, among others, reinterprets fairy tales. The sky's the limit here. But this above all, be sure your essay answers the question, so what? Why? It'll lead you to insight, which is probably the most important quality an essay of any kind can provide its reader. 
Katie Sweeney, the assistant director of admissions at Reed College, agrees with me. And in a conversation last month, she told me that she can tell a student is ready for college-level work if that student can answer the question, so what? So write that question at the top of your essay, in the margins and at the end. And if you want an example of a rad essay that uses narrative structure, makes something new, and answers so what, if you go to the transcript of this article at quickanddirtytips.com, you'll find a link to Jacqueline Kwan's amazing reinterpretation of Why Did the Chicken Cross the Road? And you'll also find a link to an essay by Christian Lau, who had to answer one question in order to get into the University of Chicago. That question? A simple one. Rock? Paper? Or scissors? And you can also find out if either of them actually got in. So here's a quick recap of what we learned so far today. Number one, essays are like movies, and their structures are there for the stealing. Um, borrowing. Number two, but don't just steal. Do something original. Make it yours. Make it new. And number three, answer so what in your essay, and then answer it again and again. Keep going till you've said something original, something smart, something you didn't expect to say. And then make sure you pack your mittens, because Chicago winters are crazy cold. That segment was written by Ethan Sawyer, who's the college essay guy. For more on how film structure can lead to a great college essay, check out his upcoming webinar, July 13th through 17th. It's titled, Using the Secrets of Screenwriting to Write the Personal Statement. Go to collegeessayguy.com to find out more. And now, on to the tidbit. You may know that the expression to leave someone holding the bag is negative. It means to abandon people, to force responsibility or blame onto them. But you might think that's because the bag is full. For example, imagine that you and your friends are cat burglars, and you just stole a bunch of jewels. Suddenly, you hear sirens. Your friends take off, leaving you behind. When the police arrive, you're left holding the bag, full of jewels, and clearly guilty. Makes sense, right? Unfortunately, that's not how the phrase got its meaning. Instead, this idiom grew out of an earlier expression from about 1600, to give one the bag. That expression referred to someone being left with an empty bag after everyone else had removed the good stuff. Empty or full, though, this expression has never fallen out of style. An 1897 weekly used the term when writing about Kansas farmers, deceived by a rainmaker. The farmers paid $500 for him to produce a downpour. That's about $12,000 at today's value. A tabernacle was built, the performance was held, the rain did not fall. The parties who put up the cash were left holding the bag, according to the Weekly. And a 2015 article in the Washington Post uses the same phrase. This time, it's Virginia taxpayers who were left holding the bag. The state paid a private company millions to build a 55-mile toll road. Because the state lacked federal construction permits, the road was never built. Sounds like Virginia is definitely holding an empty bag. So that's your tidbit for today. If you leave someone holding the bag, you desert them and burden them with an unwelcome responsibility. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial, 
You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find transcripts to all the segments of this podcast at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart? every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.